Welcome to the RevRec Gals podcast, where two consultants with over 30 years combined experience share stories about the implementation and challenges of revenue recognition accounting. I'm Susan. And I'm Natasha. And, and we, we are, are the, the RevRec Rev Gals. Gals. Welcome to our Rec Gals. Today, we are going to talk about allocations now that we have a good base on stratifications and SSP and how we all establish that. Once you actually establish your fair value, now you get to allocate. So this is all about how you take that contract price, use your fair value to allocate to each of your performance obligations you have in a contract. This is what we've been building toward. So we've identified our performance obligations. We figured out our standalone selling price. And now it's time to allocate or not to allocate. Yeah, no, that's a good point. We don't always allocate. And the reality is, is all of that work leading up to this moment doesn't actually have an impact on your numbers. So what you're actually recognizing as revenue, all that work on stratifying and looking at your population, it's not until you get to the allocation that you might actually change what you recognize in revenue, whether it be the amount or timing. I think we can start with sort of the most common form of allocating, which is a relative selling price method, RSPM or RSP allocation, which is not very different than what we did under 605. Yeah, the difference being under 605, you had a lot of the residual method because of VSOE. But now that everything has to have a value, unless you absolutely can't find one, you're going to do that relative allocation. So everything has a value. So this relative allocation method, basically what you do is you take all of your SSPs, all of the values you've come up with, and you line them up next to your performance obligations. And then you come up with a proportion for each of them based on your SSP. How much does this particular performance obligation represent as compared to the total? And then you take those percentages and multiply it by the contract price to figure out how much of the contract price belongs with that particular performance obligation. What I find interesting is people will say, oh, well, I'm going to put this value on this line in and this sell price on that line. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter because you're going to take that standalone selling price of that one line as a proportion to the accumulated selling prices of all the performance obligations and then multiply it by your total sell price. And that gives you your proportional value to that particular line. When we think about what's written on the contract and what shows up on the invoice or the order or the purchase order ultimately influences what ends up on your revenue accounting, but it doesn't actually translate directly to revenue. So what shows up on your contract ultimately becomes a sales tactic. You know, where where can we get the customer to sign the contract with what dollars and what bucket? Ultimately, where you actually recognize the revenue is based on what your selling practices are for those products in general, not for this particular customer. Maybe you throw in something, quote unquote, for free, so you can put all those dollars on a different line, but that item has value and therefore you will allocate using this relative allocation approach. Now, one thing I find interesting is, so we've come up with this SSP, which some people use a stated price, some people use a range. And there are so many options to when or if you apply it. 
if all of your lines on the order are within that SSP range, you may decide not to allocate and just leave it as the sale price. Or maybe one line you you decide it's within the range. So I don't want to change it. I want to leave it. And it then allocates based on the sale price. This decision interacts with your general accounting policy and process. And is it automated? What's the volume of transactions, et cetera? As a company, you have to decide, are you going to allocate every single time? Are you only going to allocate if one of your lines is outside the range? Or are you going to perform an allocation and then assess materiality to decide whether you actually book it or not? For some of my clients, they know they have to do an allocation, but their systems just really aren't set up for it. And so they end up doing what ends up being sort of a materiality assessment. If we were to perform an allocation, how much would our adjustment be? Do we actually need to book something? Maybe we perform an exercise of allocating in a spreadsheet for our top contracts or customers and see, do we have anything material here to worry about? Ultimately, if we were to allocate, how does that show up on our financials? Are we allocating to different performance obligations that are recognized over different time? Or ultimately, does it all roll up to the same place in our financials? So if you allocate from one software product to another software product, and both of those software products roll up to the same financial statement line and aren't otherwise disclosed anywhere else, is there a benefit to allocating? That's especially true when you have a lot of service contracts that you're selling without any hardware. You know, it's all going to be allocated over the same period of time. It's just a question of internally, do you really... Do you care if it's allocated to support versus subscriptions versus SaaS? For a top line of revenue, it is still correct. You said internally. There are a lot of internal politics at play sometimes with this because internally, if they're assessing the success of a particular product line, for example, they might want the allocations performed because they want to evaluate one piece of software versus another piece of software, or maybe the margin on one particular product line versus another product line. And in order to do that with any sort of accuracy, maybe that allocation is important for that company. One that I see all the time, I'm not sure if you've seen the same thing, is the professional services department, particularly with tech companies, because at least for my SaaS clients, they're not in the business of selling professional services. They try to stay away from it. Their professional services department really is built with the intention of how do we make our software more successful? How do we get people to adopt more quickly or expand their usage of our product? The intention is really not necessarily to be profitable or build out an extensive professional services department. However, the leadership of that professional services department is still assessed on their ability to have a at least break-even or profitable business unit. And they want to see, how are my projects performing? How are our services doing? Which is really hard to do if, if your services keep getting thrown in for quote-unquote free because they're being bundled in with the sale of the software. Yeah, I've seen that too. Also with training. From a business perspective, maybe it makes sense because what happens is you have a lot of services or training in the first year to aid in that customer success, but they want to keep that software price high, especially if it's a term license or a SaaS subscription, because next year when they renew, they want to keep that number. So if you know the customer is willing to pay 100000 
if you charge them 80,000 for the software subscription and then 20,000 for the professional services next year, they're going to renew at 80,000 and maybe they will either decrease or drop the services. Whereas if you say, Hey, I'm going to sell it to you for a hundred thousand and throw in the services for free. Well, guess what? Next year, it's a lot easier to renew at that higher 100,000 rate. So there is a business argument for doing it that way, but training or professional services need at least internally to have that allocation number so they can evaluate the effectiveness, profitability of their department. Some companies, they have a system that's going to do these allocations for them and other companies you don't. And so you have to take some kind of effort to allocate the revenue. Companies will look at it in different ways. You know, as we mentioned, they may decide if everything's within the range, they don't do an allocation. Or if one line is within the range, they that line, they use the selling price. What that does is it results in less adjustment because you just have fewer variances. You have a choice of where within the range you can select. So it's pretty common to pick the middle of the range. But sometimes it makes more sense to pick the top of the range. Maybe that's closer to your selling practices. I've seen where companies will do it a little bit differently for each product grouping. You know, so professional services will be at the top of the range, support will be the middle of the range, um, just to kind of minimize the allocations. That's what I've seen also is sort of this approach to try and minimize how much you're actually adjusting and allocating. What I've often seen is the closest end of the range. So if you're below the range, you bring it up to the bottom of the range. If you're above the range, you bring it to the top of the range so that your adjustment is smaller. So you're talking about for each line, looking at the selling price. Yes. Especially now that you mentioned, I have seen where they've used whichever is closer, the lower end or higher end of the range. So if your SSP range is 100 to 110, if your 95 is the contract price, you would bring that 95 up to 100. If you're 115, you'd bring the 115 down to 110. As opposed to some clients will just say, hey, we want to make it straightforward and consistent. We're going with the midpoint. In which case, if your range is 100 to 110, the midpoint is 105. And so you'd bring it to 105, regardless of whether you're at 115 or 95, above or below the range. What I've seen is for a lot of my clients, they choose the outer edge, whether it be the top or the bottom, because it's fewer adjustments or lower dollar value adjustments. But then others like the midpoint because it's just the same every time and it's straightforward. I'm curious with the ones that you've seen make it different by product line, what helped them or what was part of the decision-making to choosing one thing for a particular product line versus another? For professional services, you know, they either essentially sold it at or near the selling price or they gave it away for free. The higher end of the range just made more sense. It felt like it reflected more accurately. Yeah. So here's a question. So we love our spreadsheets. We love our SSP analyses. We can spend days in spreadsheet land. At the end of the day, when we go to allocate, sometimes it's manual. And sometimes there's a revenue automation system that makes this, once configured anyway, makes it relatively streamlined. From a manual perspective, how have you seen it done with your client, Susan? A lot of times what I'll see is you get a sales report and oftentimes we'll have a standard template and standard formulas. 
and then allocate the revenue through a standard spreadsheet that looks up and says, for everything with this standard transaction code that we talked about earlier to combine performance obligations and and contracts, allocate the revenue in this manner. I think you have an example of companies that maybe just do an assessment and then look at larger contracts. So when you're doing the contract review, looking at that contract to see, is there a need to do an allocation? Um, I have seen that on companies with higher volumes who tend to have online sales a lot. When you're negotiating a contract, that's really when you have non-standard transaction pricing. And so that's then when they'll go and do an allocation review to see if there's an adjustment required. So I think the the first example you gave is where you really have a big spreadsheet with all of your transactions. You maybe have a field that's called something like SSP group or SSP category. And then you have some tables someplace else that has the SSP for each of those SSP groups or categories. You pull it into your big old spreadsheet and you say, hey, does this line at the contract level reflect the SSP based on the SSP group or category? So the first thing you'll do is you'll take all that data. You'll do that lookup to say, what's my SSP category? What's my SSP rate? Calculate the relative value and then do your relative allocation. I've seen where you pull in your SSP, you pull in your rate, then you do this comparison to say, am I within range? Does this contract line reflect SSP, yes or no? And some people will stop there and they just have a big old spreadsheet saying, are we within range or are we not within range? And it may or may not add the columns that actually performs the allocation if something is out of range. Something we've talked about before is this idea that if everything's within range, you could choose not to allocate at all. Whereas if there's one line out of range, you end up having to allocate. That can be a policy. You could say, hey, we're going to allocate all of these in this one big spreadsheet with standard formulas. Or we could say, hey, actually, we're not going to allocate if we don't have to. We're only going to allocate if it gets flagged as there being a line outside of the range. The actual allocation could be in this one big spreadsheet with lots of complicated formulas and columns. Or we're just going to flag the ones that require allocation. And then we're either going to perform the allocation in a separate spreadsheet or or maybe we perform it right there, or maybe they just assess the materiality of it. Maybe they say, we don't want to have to book all these adjusting entries. This is too complicated. We don't have the system set up for it. There's no internal driver for it. Maybe they don't have a professional services or training department, or it's not very big. Maybe there's no internal driver for it. So they're really just doing this big exercise to prove that, hey, if we were to allocate, it wouldn't be material anyway. We don't want to bother. This is just to sort of check a box with the auditors. Or it could be the full-on, we're performing the allocation in this spreadsheet and we're going to, going to book an adjusting entry based on what all our complicated formulas spit out. A lot of times I see companies with systems in place, like revenue systems, they'll allocate everything because it's just a systematic process. But the rest of the people... It's all manual. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because, you know, there's a lot to talk about when talking about revenue automation. One of the things we talked about a lot leading up to this episode is this idea of data integrity and data cleanliness. And so in order to put revenue automation in place, 
you really have to have really clean data because that data is going to drive an adjustment and it's going to happen automatically. So if something isn't right, there's not the same level of visibility when you export it into a spreadsheet and someone has their hands in that spreadsheet and then someone reviews it in that spreadsheet. Errors in your data are going to be more obvious or have more of an opportunity to be identified in that scenario. So in order to be able to rely on your a revenue first of all, implement, and then second of all, rely on the results of a revenue automation system, you have to have that trust and integrity upstream in your data. And if you don't have that, then you can't automate your revenue, in which case you're in spreadsheet land. And I mean, maybe we're a little bit skewed in our perspective because the people that have it all together don't hire as many consultants. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Um, So maybe, maybe we just think there's this vast majority of people that have to live in spreadsheet land, but certainly our clients are the ones that need that extra help. They're stuck in spreadsheets until they can get that data integrity at the front of their quote to cash process. The nice thing is once you have that, that template set up, then it becomes just a matter of focusing on your data cleanup and data integrity and the rest falls out. So you're referring to like the template for the allocation in the spreadsheet. Right. That template for allocation can just be set up. I have clients where quarterly they just send the sales report and I take the last months and I copy the formulas over and I do my data cleanup and you know send it back and we're all good. I think often, you know, that is why a consultant will be hired is to set something like that up. If they have the capacity within their organization, you can transition it to someone within the organization, but they just don't have the time or capacity to set it up in the first place because it's that first time effort to set it up that can be really time consuming. I agree because everyone's a little different in their products and how their products act and react. And even the service terms can be very different. You may have an applied period that has to be added on, or there may be a delay in recognition. That's such a good point. I just had a client not too long ago where we ran the report out of their accounting system, but there was sort of these upfront implementation services that they basically did for every client. But it only showed, they almost always did it for free. And only sometimes was it included on the contract and the invoice. Sometimes it was just bundled in. And, you know, if you read the words of the contract, it was in there. And so their systems weren't sophisticated enough to include that line. So you had to actually go through and manually add a line for each of them before performing your allocation, because not all the lines were in the report. Which, I mean, goes back to this idea of, you know, it's different for every company because I also have certain companies or clients that I've worked with where they tended to have a lower volume of contracts each quarter, but a higher dollar value. So as part of the contract review process, they would say all contracts over X amount go through a detailed contract review process with a detailed contract review template. As part of that, they include an allocation as a separate tab or something that's sort of manual that on a one contract by contract basis, usually in that scenario, you don't end up with very many allocations. It's really done, they're maybe consolidated into, okay, here are all of our allocations out of 30 contracts this quarter, we're allocating for seven of them. And so that actually looks very different because then it's not a download or an export of invoice data or contract data. It's each 
quarter, we're going to review all our contracts. We're going to have a manual calculation that is individually keyed in for each contract because they're highly negotiated. They're all different. There's no coming up with some sort of standard formula that's going to work across all of them. And then once you perform that allocation, you copy it over into sort of a rolling manual file that you use to actually perform your adjusting entry each period. Along those same lines, you know, there's lots of different ways of coming up with this calculation. Then it's actually booking it. Yeah, I do find sometimes if you're booking both the original revenue and the adjusted, that the volume can get very, very high of your journal entries. So some companies have just said, we're going to book the adjusted revenue and everything's going into one account. Going back to your comment about if you have a system versus if you have a spreadsheet and you have to do this data cleanup, I've even seen with systems that there's still quite a bit of review. So you're not spending the time doing the data cleanup so much as finding the exceptions and the outliers. So one of my clients, they have a bundle that's different than other bundles. And so when it comes through, it actually comes through as multiple lines. And some of those lines need to be zeroed out. So they have a process at the end of the month to pull all of those transactions and back out the ones that are really part of the build of the product and not a separate sales line. Even if you are in a world where you do have revenue automation, however you set it up, however you implemented it, however you configured it, it couldn't have possibly captured 100% of scenarios perfectly. And so there's always this population of contracts or scenarios that can't be handled in the system. And at the end of each quarter, there's this manual intervention that happens to sort of override review, double check for certain types of scenarios. Yeah, I find that does happen, especially when there are linked contracts, like you've gotten the hardware or the software order, and you know there's a support order coming. So the system doesn't know about that support order yet. So you have to assess, is there a material adjustment you need to make? Also, material rights. If you have a material right where you have some kind of significant future discount, systems can't adjust for that either because that's often a clause in your contract. And so you would then have to do an adjustment. That may be a higher level reserve that you do versus as part of your revenue allocation. Both of those topics kind of touch on this idea of have you included everything? Because when you go to allocate a contract, one of the very important steps that you have to go through before you go to allocate is identify all of your performance obligations. You first identify your contract and any linked contracts. And then when you look at your contract and any linked contracts, what are all your performance obligations? So have you captured all the performance obligations that are in all of your contracts? And oh, by the way, a material right is a performance obligation that must be included. And to your point is not like separate line item in the order. It is usually written down somewhere in the notes or elsewhere. That material right has to be reflected somewhere. And typically there's not an automated way of doing that. Ultimately, if you don't have all your performance obligations, you can't possibly allocate correctly because you're not looking at the whole picture. The math just won't work. We talked about the allocation. We talked about the ranges. We talked about posting it. Is it automated? Is it not automated? Now let's talk about why it matters. And so I think the reason it matters really comes down to revenue timing. 
this whole concept only matters to the extent it impacts your financial statements, whether they're internal financial statements or external financial statements. I've had clients who didn't want to do an SSP analysis because as you might've cut on by now, it takes a while. It's yeah. complicated. <laughs> if you don't have to do it, you don't want to do it. And one of the positions they take is all we sell is subscriptions. We recognize that over this contract term, we have a super small training department. We, you know, we don't really provide services. We don't want to go through this whole process because our revenue timing wouldn't change anyway. And in that situation, what you can do is take a look and say, what is my volume of professional services and training? And is it material? And maybe do a high level adjustment to your revenue to account for it. Well, and I think that materiality is a, is a good point. I think my favorite is when a client says, oh, our professional services are immaterial. Look, we only had 20,000 in revenue last year. And I'm like, okay, so I get that it was only 20,000 in revenue. How many times did you give it away for free? An important distinction you made is look at the volume. How many professional services contracts are there? How many hours were worked? Because sometimes the dollar amount in the contract won't necessarily reflect the true materiality of the situation. And when you do that assessment, especially for something like professional services that has a hard cost, you would have a hard time arguing that professional services have a value of zero. Well, same with training, unless it's online training. You know, if you're just giving them access to a a library online, it's pretty easy to say it's an immaterial performance obligation. And, or maybe that library is connected with their subscription. Maybe it's part of the package. Maybe since it's a library, they have the right to access it over the same period of time as the subscription and there's no difference in timing. So there's lots of ways to get there, but revenue time is not the only reason you might have to allocate because also you have to figure out your SSP for each performance obligation in the case of material rights. In order to evaluate a pricing option, you need to compare it to your SSP. And then also in the case of modifications, your SSP comes into play. So you're still going to have to do that SSP analysis. You're still going to have to evaluate that in the case of material rates and modifications to determine if you have to perform an allocation, even if most of your transactions are recognized over the same contract term. This concludes our discussion on revenue allocations. Please follow us on LinkedIn, where you can get notified of new episodes and other activities. You can reach us with questions or topic suggestions through our LinkedIn profile or emailing us at revregals at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. The examples discussed are based on specific company dynamics. Check in with your auditors before making changes to your current processes. Specializing in revenue recognition may result in employment for life. Please consult your friends and family before pursuing this career.